Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Welcome back, friends. We've got a good conversation for you today with Craig Groeschel. But first, let me tell you about the Missions Resource Network. Do you feel personally called to disciple making? Does your church need help to enhance its mission program? If so, Missions Resource Network can help you. This global ministry provides training and coaching, connections with international partners, and can position you for success as you embrace God's calling. Now, they have some very exciting work going on that our church has a little bit of connection to. Uh, they've got an exciting work in Thessaloniki, which is in... You know where that Network. is? No, <laughs> now we're, it's in Greece. Do you guys know where Greece is? Yes. Greece. Greece, yeah. yes. It's uh, some of the great work that they are doing in the Mediterranean Rim with refugees and asylum seekers, and it's very exciting work. Our church is partnering with one of their missionaries over there, and uh, love the work that they're doing. So if you need help with your church finding uh, a way to get connected to God's work in the world, or you have a, a missionary, or you are a missionary that need help training, the Missions Resource Network is your place to go. Go to mrnet.org. That's mrnet.org. Now, on to today's conversation with Craig Groeschel. Hey, girls, there you, that's a picture of Mr. Craig right there. Do you see him, that guy? Who do you think can lift more weights, Daddy or Mr. Craig? What? Why would you say that? Avery, what do you think? Oh, come on. Come on. All right. All right. Here he is. All right, friends. Welcome back to the show. Today we have joining us from Oklahoma, Craig Rochelle. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, Luke. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you. Now, I know you live in Oklahoma. Uh, one of the best things about your book is that you said that you were a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> are you Boomer Sooner? Is that you? Like, are you all in on that? You know, I, I actually preach on Saturdays, and so I cannot be all in on everything. All I know is that as soon as football season starts, half our church is all out. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> they really are. Like, it's, uh, as soon as it starts, they go away. Yeah, uh, our church is in Austin, and we just had to uh, reschedule an event because that's when USC is in town. Yeah, and that, so we're like, yeah, we can't, we can't compete with that. No, there, there's, yeah, there's priorities, and and uh, football is pretty high on the list. Yeah, for sure. But are, are you like, where's your loyalty for college football? I, you know, I, I usually pull for. I, I actually, am, I, I honestly like both schools and try to pull for both of them. Uh, push comes to shove, I go for uh, OU over OSU in football. Okay, well, as someone who lives in Austin, I guess I will overlook uh, that uh, that transgression. But uh, anyway, we'll we'll move on. Let's just talk about a book. How about that? Yeah. We can we can agree on that. We can. Okay. Yeah. So you've uh, your new book, Hope in the Dark. Um, you say at the beginning that you like to joke around and usually have uh, a little bit of humor. This is a book, not a lot of humor. Pretty serious stuff. You know, I've, I've done a lot of books, and this one just came out with a real different tone. And in fact, that's one of the first things I tell people is that this book is not for everyone, and it's it's really not. If um, if your life is going great right now, things are kind of up and to the right, I'd say embrace it, enjoy it, celebrate it, and you're not going to like this book. This this book is, is you know, I wrote it with a real serious and more of a kind of a raw tone born out of just kind of where I was personally. Um, and it, it's for people that are hurting, people that have spiritual questions, um, doubts, and, uh, and there, unfortunately there's a lot of people living in that world right now. 
so in the book, you say that you wrote this after a tragedy of someone you work with who lost a child, yes. and this came right out of that. What, what's the difference of writing a book like this? What did, what did it do differently for you than some of the other books that you've written? This book didn't start out as a book. So Adrian is one of the ladies in my office, and she lost a child. So we sent her home for the week and you know tried to support her as best we could. And I thought I wanted to write her something that would maybe be helpful. And so I was studying the book of Habakkuk, and I just kind of took that Old Testament minor prophet and wove in and out of it. And it, I thought I'd write three or four pages. It ended up probably being more like 40 or so. I just couldn't stop. So when she got back in, I gave her the document, and she she, you know, she really said it helped, like, like maybe saved her from real faith struggles, and, and it was kind of a special bonding moment. Well, I moved on. Document sat on my computer for literally years, several years. Then my daughter, uh, Mandy, got sick, and uh, and she's still sick. And, and suddenly I started having some of the faith struggles, kind of like, where are you, God? So I thought I'll read what I wrote for her, and it was so odd that the words I wrote for someone else was kind of like someone else wrote them for me. It ministered to me so much. That's when I thought maybe this could be helpful, and that that little document is what I, I ended up um, massaging and reworking into the book, Hope in the Dark. So when your daughter, she gets sick right around the time she's getting married, she's 21 at the time, right. and... Is she having some of these? I guess I don't want to talk about her story. That's that's hers, hers, hers to share. But as a father communicating this to one of your kids, uh, did it seem different than having the conversation, which you probably had countless times with other people? Uh, I'd say this. There, there have been, I mean, you know, I'm 50 years old, so I've seen quite a bit of life. There have been so many times when I've been hurt, I experienced something that you know, I, I would have changed. I lost someone important to me, whatever it's that was centered around me for whatever reason, having this happen to a child triggered something different in me that, um, it hurt more to see someone I love hurt than hurting myself. So yeah, so it's, it's just seeing Mandy, um, hurt and be unable to function has, uh, I, I, I question God. I feel disappointed. I felt mad at God. But at the same time, not in a way that in years past I might have felt tempted like to walk away from him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that. It was more like a, I really don't understand. And so these questions, these, these doubts, these hurts, they're making me draw closer rather than pulling me away. And so it's been like truly the most intimate time spiritually for my family and the most agonizing all at the same time. Um, my daughter Mandy, she said, uh, she said through tears, she said, Daddy, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. Um, I would never want to go through it again. But she said, I wouldn't change it. She said, you know, I'm so, she just, I'm so close to Jesus because of this. And it was really, I'm just, I'm thankful for the goodness of God. She seems to be enjoying his presence even more than I am. <laughs> um, I'm kind of ready to see him do something. But uh, he is real in the middle of the pain. Yeah, my my youngest daughter um, was sick a couple weeks ago, and we ended up spending uh, two nights in the oncology department and with my four year old. And the it, it worked out in our favor; things worked the way that we want. And she doesn't have cancer, but um, being on the oncology floor with your four year old does something to you differently than just the it does. 
Because as a pastor, you've been doing this for decades. I've been doing this for a few years. Um, there have been similar situations that other people have gone through, and I've been the preacher in that situation to them. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, but when it's your own kid, it's different from my experience. And my daughter was four, and my older daughters didn't really figure out what was going on until kind of afterwards. And I never had to do a whole lot of explaining to them. Uh-huh. I-, I can only imagine how much harder that would be trying to explain this to my daughter, even though I'm professionally trained to be able to sit in a situation and listen uh-huh. and pray with you. But when it's your own kid, I feel like it would, it's just unlike any other situation yeah i think you know first of all i'm th- so thankful your daughter doesn't have cancer that's i'm so glad thank you um yeah it's, it's almost like when it's when it's your child all the professional training goes out the window yeah. and you're just a fellow uh person in need so yeah uh, yeah but the uh, the other the other side of it is true you know like when you pastor people and you see from a distance and you kind of know okay god is faithful he is going to carry them through this. They don't see it right now, but two years from now, they're going to look back and they're going to see his hand. Uh, at the same time, I kind of I have that sense that it, I have the experience of God's goodness, and so we know He's going to carry it, carry us through. But I will tell you, I've had more honest conversations with them in the past two years and three months than I had in you know previous years. Yeah, I bet. Uh- in the book, you didn't really wrap up what was going on with your daughter's health. It sounds like it's an ongoing thing that has continued to plague your family. You know what I'd hoped? You know, if you've written a book, you typically turn a book in to the publisher at least a year before it comes out. Yep. So my kind of what I'd hoped was that I'd get to put the appendix in the book and says, now here's what's happened. And now she's better or improving or there's a diagnosis or whatever. And there is no appendix. So that's that's kind of where we sit right now. Um, mm. Still have faith, um, but she's it's you know it's it's uh, every, every day is a, is a challenge for her. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, you, you tell a story about your wife uh, finding this uh, her her wedding ring, which mm-hmm. uh, in your words, uh, and I quote, completely replaceable piece of jewelry, mm-hmm. um, and she finds it, and it's this miracle, and praise God for it. At the same time, she's had a decade-long battle with chronic illness that doesn't mm-hmm. seem to go away. Yep. And you're able to celebrate a piece of jewelry that's found while at the same time living in the tension of an illness that doesn't seem to find a, a, a cure mm-hmm. for it. How do you hold those two things together? You know, the, the, the thing about this, I don't, the, the, the ring story was just crazy. We lost the ring, I think it was like seven months. Couldn't find it anywhere. And the craziest thing, Luke, is we were sitting in my living room talking about the message we I preached on the axe head that flows in the main line was God helps God helps you find what you didn't mean to lose or God will restore what you didn't mean to lose and I felt prompted to get up and walk across the room and pick up eight, one one uh, pillow off of a, a couch and her ring was there it's like we had looked for months and then I felt prompted it was such a like under, like I will go to heaven and say God that was a miracle that was cool and Bottom line is, I, it was not an expensive ring. It was the, the ring I bought her 24 years ago when I had no money. I was happy to get her a new one. It didn't matter that much. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we prayed and prayed for some chronic infections that will keep her in bed. And that's just one example. I think everybody will have that. I mean, you'll like pray it doesn't rain at your soccer game. It doesn't rain at your soccer game. Great. God answered that prayer. And then you're, you continue your teenager battles depression, severe depression. You're like, what, where is God in that? I, I think one of the things I'm trying to help people embrace is that 
it, the name Habakkuk itself it means it means to both wrestle and embrace, which is so comforting that you can literally wrestle with God and you can embrace Him. You, you can you can face suffering, and yet we're told we can rejoice in the suffering, so we can have something bad, and at the same time we can still try to find joy in it. We, we, James said we can consider it pure joy whenever we face trials. So I'm trying to learn to live in the tension of thanking God for something that hasn't happened, thanking Him in the, in, even when we don't see His hand. And that's kind of what where Habakkuk eventually gets is, in chapter three, you know, number one, chapter one, he's wondering, "Where are you, God? This isn't fair." Chapter two, he's waiting on the judgment of God. Chapter three, God doesn't do anything close to what he wants to do, but yet he he praises God not for what God does, but simply for who God is. Mm-hmm. And that that kind of real faith, I don't think, happens in good times. You know, when there's no problems, it does. I don't grow into that type of mature faith. Uh, but in these dark times and the valleys and the suffering and the questions, I think I think on the other side of honest doubts is often kind of the strongest faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like how you you break it up into the three chapters. Chapter one's questioning. Second is waiting. Third is that you have this. You know, you, you can make my feet like the feet of the deer. And there's like mm-hmm. I have trust in you, even if this doesn't work out the way I want it to. Mm-hmm. Um, but not everyone feels the freedom or the ability to question. Uh, a line mm-hmm. from the book is maybe in some strange way, God allows us to doubt him sometimes. Mm-hmm. Maybe he knows that one of the ways for our faith to grow stronger or uh, one of the best ways. Uh, I don't feel like everyone feels the ability to express our questions. Um, what do you think helps people get there where they can do that? Well, I, I think I, I grew up in a church culture, maybe like some others where if you have doubt, has a lack of faith, and you may not be a real Christian. And I, I just think that's an inaccurate representation. I don't think it reflects the heart of God. You know, if you just look at lamentations, what you know, what is it? It's, it's lamenting for God. What is Job? You know, God, where are you? Habakkuk. You know, he's most prophets speak to um, the people on behalf of God. He's the opposite. He goes and speaks to God on um, behalf of the people and says, "I don't like what you're doing, God. Where, where are you?" Jesus even. On the cross, you know, said, "Where are you? What? Why have you forsaken me?" So, I think that we need to almost help people have the grace not to be afraid to doubt, to suppress or deny doubts. I don't think it helps us get closer to God. I, I think God is today, today. I didn't years ago, but today, I think God is big enough to handle our doubts. I think He welcomes mm-hmm. them. I honestly think God would rather have us yell at Him than to walk away from Him. And I think a lot of people walk away rather than staying in there with them. And so I hope the book, not in an irreverent way where you just go and look for reasons to dislike God, but in a, in a reverent, trusting way, empowers people and gives them permission to not deny doubts, but to acknowledge them and to work through them with God. Uh, and I think there there can be real healing and faith on the other side of them. Yeah, I, I love the line of, God would rather you yell at God than walk away from God. I think that's, mm. I think that's, that's brilliant, and I think it's so true. Um, you said to give people the grace to doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, are some, what are some ways that we can give people that grace to, to doubt? What, like venues, how does, what does that look like in church? How do you, uh, you can't program that so much, but mm. what environments can you create for that to happen? You know, I think one of the things as pastors is that we have to have the courage just to talk transparently. Sometimes it's tempting or we feel pressure to be the hero of our own story. So 
look at my faith, you know, all this kind of stuff. Probably most of us, I can't speak for everybody, but probably most of us hit those times when we do have doubts. So I think we have to, we have to have the courage to model it. Mm-hmm. And in, in this, in an unusual way, I think that actually will strengthen people's faith, not, um, rob them from it. In, in fact, to chase a quick rabbit, then I'll try to answer your question. Uh, in this, I'm teaching on Habakkuk right now, and the thing I told the church, and I was shocked at how much it meant to people. I said, this isn't a sitcom sermon. What happens in a sitcom? All the problems are usually resolved in 30 minutes or less, including commercial breaks. This isn't one of those. So at the end of the message, rather than ending with something like, and here's how God worked it out, here's how God was good, here's how he was glorified, instead, Habakkuk still has no resolution whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I ended the message that way. Just like real life, Mandy, we have no resolution at all right now. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked at how much that ministered to people. Mm-hmm. Because I think in kind of in our Western version of Christianity, in our Americanized version, sometimes we almost put pressure on ourselves or pressure on God to say, he has to make things good our way or he's not really he's not good. That's just simply not who God is. So back to your question. Uh, I think we need to. I think we need to strip our churches of the legalism that says doubt isn't real faith. I think that you know a little bit like the father um, in scripture whose boy was demon possessed and said, you know, I believe you can, but help me overcome my unbelief. Yeah, I think a lot of us live there. Like I, I want to believe, but I'm not sure I fully believe. Will you help me believe? That to me is that to me is more sincere, more real in our faith before God than the person who denies doubt when they really have it. Uh, I think I think there's uh, I think there's strength in honesty rather than playing a Christian game, and yeah. that's kind of how I grew up playing the game. Yeah, I, I think many of us did. Uh, I, I wrote a book in which I talk about my own doubts, my faith struggles, and as it's about to come out, I've kind of had a little bit of like. Gunshot, like, are you sure that was a good idea to put all that down? So uh, what's, what's the book? It's, uh, it's called God Over Good, How Losing Your Expectations Can Help You Save Your Faith. And I talk oh. about how, like... Wow, my, that's good. So when's, that's, when's that coming out? It comes out October 2nd. I didn't real mean to plug my book in your interview. But uh, yeah, it comes out in six weeks, I think, six or seven weeks. That sounds like a great... That sounds really interesting. Well, I, from... Listen to Craig. Go buy my book, guys. That's what go we're trying to say. Go buy it um, now. Buy pre-order it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had like some hesitant. Like uh, I think Brene Brown talks about it as like vulnerability hangover of wow. I put yeah. so much of myself out there. Y- you talk about some of your struggles. You obviously mentioned those right now. Um, was that something you had to grow into, or did that uh, like if you grew up in a, an environment where you weren't allowed to play that game? Um, like w- what enabled you to grow into that? I totally expect for there to be some pushback on this book from Christians. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of am fed up with the um, uh, the fake facade version of Christianity where we're going to pretend like we have it all perfect. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't work. And so, you know, I, I intentionally kind of did maybe what you did. And, and um, at my age, I'm not quite as worried as I would have been at your age. I was, you know, a little more hesitant. Yeah. Then now I kind of, my feet are kind of planted in and um I've, I've taken enough criticism. I just don't care as much. Um, but I, I intentionally let it be raw because I think that's where where so many people live. Yeah. Uh, and um, the, you know, that's Psalms are raw. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, so I, I'm I just 
I, I look forward to reading your book. I truly want to read it. And uh, I, I applaud you for having the courage to keep it real. Well, well thank you. I appreciate that. I, I think there is, to use your metaphor of sitcom, I think there's a lot of pressure to give someone a 30-minute message. Like as a pastor, like, this 30 minutes, I'm going to give you a nice resolution uh, and get it all done. That's not life. That's not how it always works. No, and I'm, I'm guilty of that, too. I think we all want to have the end and God healed the person, yeah. you know, and here's what came, here's the good that came out of it. And sometimes you just don't see it yet. You may years from now, but I think you have to, we have to have faith in God when we don't see it. Yeah. That's what faith is. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, one of the lines you have in the book is, sometimes I think we're afraid of expressing our questions, not because we're worried about God's response, but because we're worried about our own. Mm-hmm. What kind of things do you think people are afraid of coming up in their own questions? You know, I think it's all the way down from it, it, like my wife seems to have stronger faith than I do. And I'm embarrassed to say that. Mine too. Just, yeah, she's just a, she's like got tremendous faith. And so if I express that out loud to her, sometimes I feel like she might think okay, I'm not as close to God or whatever. So there's a sense of letting someone down that I, you know, want to impress or want to think highly of me. At the same time, I think it's even in my own life, I actually, I went ahead and texted it the other day to a friend, and I hesitated, but I told him, I said, y- yes, I, 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 the words I use is, I think I've been sometimes angry, sometimes disappointed in God. And for whatever reason, putting that down on a text that would be there forever scared me, hmm. because it was, it was, it felt permanent, it felt visible, uh, it wasn't just in my head as a quiet thing, but it was out in the, in the open. And for whatever reason, it scared me, but I just, I kind of just went there. And um, hmm. I'm finding more intimacy with God by going there than by keeping it inside. Yeah. Um, so, something about just the rawness of saying, let's meet me in my realness, don't meet me in my, in my hypocrisy. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I think no relationship thrives in in which someone is being duplicitous. Like you, you can't have right. intimacy without honesty. And I, you also make the connection in the book that the honesty also makes it more attractive and compelling, whereas the sort of like superficial answers that we've given can push people away because they know that's that's not real. Uh, here's a line from the book. Um, Christianity has gotten a bad rap in the last few decades because so many Christians try to pretend that they have everything figured out. This includes the problem of pain in the world. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that pushes people away, in your opinion? Gosh, you know, I think um, kind of, I call it bumper sticker theology. When we try to answer questions with something on a bumper sticker, it's just... Um, I think it devalues where people are. I think it can be insulting. I think it's, uh, at best, it's good intentions. At worst, it's horribly incomplete. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when, when someone's hurting and suffering, as a young pastor, I felt tremendous pressure to have the right words, say the right thing, mm-hmm. give them the right reason. And I found that that that, that often hurts them more. It, it discredits what they're going through, that sometimes the most powerful thing when someone's hurting is not a word but just your presence yep. and just being there be, is, you know who is jesus he's god in the flesh he's god incarnate and in some way not to say we're anything close to god but you know we we as brothers and sisters in christ rep, we can represent the love of god to each other and so just being present saying i'm hurting with you i'm in this i, I remember one time luke i um i was a young pastor 
and this guy lost his daughter, this dad, and his daughter was about, about the same age as my daughter at the time, about like yours. And um, I went in, I thought I need to say something. I just broke down and cried. And the whole, I never said a word, cried all the way through it. And I went out to my car and I thought, you're the biggest loser, you're the worst pastor ever. And I got the nicest note from him saying, your visit was perfect. That was exactly what needed to happen. Mm. And it wasn't in a reason, wasn't in a word, um, wasn't in an explanation. It was in simply being with someone in their pain. And I think that's, you know, as Christians, we feel pressure sometimes to give an explanation. And I think it's, I think it's sometimes way more loving not to, but just to, just to be, just to be with somebody. Um, it's a whole lot easier to try to give an answer than to to be emotionally present in someone else's pain and to carry their pain. Yes, you, yes. You tell a story about a, a guy from your church named Bill who, 46, suddenly passed away. I think I think it was a heart attack. And yes. uh, we had uh, a similar situation. A friend of mine named Sean, uh, a year ago, passed away, a prominent guy in our church. He was the ESPN morning guy in Austin. And so he had a big personality, big presence, and right around the same age, passed away. And... Two, it happened on a Thursday. He passed away, and then Sunday, like I have to get up. I'm the pastor. I've got to talk. And first service couldn't get through it. Second service couldn't get through it. Uh, third is a little better, but I each time. And the response that I, I got from everyone was didn't match what I expected. My my expectation was, Luke, you got to hold this stuff together. You're th- mm-hmm. this is your job, and you be the preacher here. But that's not how people received it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure people found uh probably great comfort in seeing you just as a regular person wrestling like they do mm-hmm. um yeah I, I had the same thing or similar um this week i there was a girl at, um on the front row so i found out she's a sophomore in high school and our church wrote this song for my daughter mandy so that already i'm emotional it's yeah. about trusting god in the waiting mm-hmm. and um this girl's on the front row just worshiping crying on her knees and I lost it so much. I had to leave the auditorium, go back to my room, and just try to recover. Hmm. And I just, I just didn't. You know, I came out and I was emotional. Um, and and again, just like you, uh, I didn't want to go there. I was afraid. Yeah. And um, and and the opposite was it. I think people people embraced it. Yeah. So after my daughter was in the hospital, I was I take July off. I don't preach because we're in Texas. It's too hot. Like I'll just do hellfire and brimstone. Like, so I just take July off. And so I, I came back, and I think it was the first Sunday I was back. And I'm telling a story. My wife is a neonatal ICU nurse, and I tell a story about a guy who's going up to meet his kid from the first time. He was in the Middle East, a soldier deployed, comes to the hospital wearing fatigues. And I say this line about he's so excited to meet his kid for the first time, but he also has the anxiety of his daughter being in the hospital. And I just... I lost, like I just stopped because there was a sense of like vulnerability that like I'm aware of how frail humanity is and I can't protect my daughter from being sick. And even though it was the two terrible days, but we've got good news and everything's better. There's a sense of like, I'm, I'm still like very uh, like sensitive or weak or something. I, I can't imagine you've been going through this for a couple years at this point with your daughter. Right. Yes. It, 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 I guess you get used to it more. I guess you're like, but you're always vulnerable. It seems like I don't. I don't know how how that would be to to do what you do every week with that in the back burner. I, I think um, you know, if just to be real honest with you, like I, uh, I, I Monday I pushed through in my office, despite back the tears the whole day. 
I think I'm, I'm constantly raw. Yeah. And, uh, I'd say, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you, if you've got some kind of pain in your body, do you ever get used to it? Kind of yes, but it's always there. And so, uh, and, and at the same time, I just want to say too, what we're going through is not nearly as bad as what so many other people are going through. You know, my daughter's sick. She's not dead. Um, and at the say, you know, there are so many people that, you know, I, I have, I have compassion. I'm not saying our life is the worst ever. It's not. Um, but anyone who has a hurting child, they, they do, uh, they, they understand. I think it's, um, you know, no matter, no matter what level of pain people are in, uh, the, what Mandy said to me that was so meaningful, I, I said to her, I'm, I said, I'm proud of the way um, you're enduring this. And she said, Dad, I don't see it as enduring. Um, enduring is kind of passive when something happens. She, she said, I'm, I'm trying to embrace it. I'm trying mm. to embrace what God would have for me in it. And uh, that word right there has kind of changed my perspective. We're not trying to okay. get through this. I'm not just trying to endure it, but I'm trying to embrace it. You know, if this is, if this is, if God is here with us now, He's doing something in it. I'm going to trust Him, and so I embrace it. I embrace this day. We have this day, this moment. You know, um, and we're talking together in this moment. I embrace God's presence with us now. So I'm trying to trying to take everything and say we're not just just enduring there's we're, we're, yeah. we're embracing this that's a that's a good insight you're embracing not enduring so think of practices that go with helping you embrace uh, I, I guess it's constantly reminding yourself I'm, I'm not just being passive i'm gonna be um i'm gonna be present i'm gonna be embraced are, are there other practices that you could like prescribe for someone else who's trying to embrace and not just endure yeah, I think, you know, if you, if you look at Habakkuk, what he does is a great model. The, the first thing he does, chapter, chapter one, he's freaked out, he's questioning. Chapter two, he doesn't run from God, doesn't walk away, but he says, I positioned myself on the ramparts. In, in other words, he climbed up high to watch yeah. for what God was doing. Then he said, I'm going to lift him. Then he wrote it down. God said, write down the revelation. So mm-hmm. to me, what I want to do is, I, is instead of running away from God, okay, I'm mad, I'm disappointed, I'm out. Instead, I want to position myself to see what he's doing. And I want to listen to see what he's saying. So I want to remain sensitive to him. Then God told him to write it down. This is something that's become, a, I'm in my fourth year of journaling through a five-year devotion, five-year journal. And what I love about it is like, I don't, whatever today's date is, the August the what? Uh, 22nd. 22nd. So I can see what happened a year ago on the 22nd, a year prior to that, year prior to that, for four years back. It's all on the same page. So I can see a year ago I was praying about something, I was upset about something, whatever, and here's how God either worked it out, how God sustained me through it. So today when I'm hurting or questioning and write it down, I think, okay, a year from now, I'll be able to look back to this day and I'll see the faithfulness of God in it. Uh, That's been revolutionary to me is to look at my life, to, to look back on the same day the previous year or two years ago and see the faithfulness of God. Uh, I think that's helpful. The, the longer you walk, walk with them, the more you see his faithfulness in your past, the more you trust his faithfulness for tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, I've got a good friend, uh, Annie Downs, who loves journaling. She always talks about journaling. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to try it. And I lasted like two days. I was like, yeah, I, I can't uh, do it. Me too. But you're, you describe this in the book, the five-year thing. and You can only write yeah. short short little pieces down each day. Yeah, uh, order one, it's like four lines, five lines at the most. So you hmm. literally can't write much. And uh, 
Okay. That, that'll change your life. Okay. Because it's, yeah, I, I, I quit 15 times before <laughs> I found the, the five-year journal with only four lines to fill in. Four lines. I, f- I feel like four lines, like I might be able to do that. That's You could do it. It may be five, but it's uh, it's not much. Okay. I'll just use big handwriting. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Habakkuk. It's, I, I love the book of Habakkuk. I love that you use this as the book to kind of uh, use that as the book that kind of organizes this book that you, that you wrote, Hope in the Dark. Um, I felt like a radio DJ right there saying, and your book, mm-hmm. Hope in the Dark. Um, okay, here's a couple things I noticed. But, what, but what's, your, what's your book? Say it again. <laughs> God Over Good. There you go, God Over Good. Look at you. You, you got to get yours in too. Yeah, you, Reminds me of the book I wrote, God Over Good. <laughs> you know, um, I appreciate that. I'm going to definitely uh, give you a good comment when you hang up. I appreciate that. Uh, Craig's my favorite. Um, okay, so I, I love the book of Habakkuk. It, it seems like most people love chapter 1, verse 5, where uh, uh, God is tells him, look at the nations, watch and be amazed, for I'm going to do something your day you wouldn't believe even if you're yeah. told. And people, like, it's a great bumper sticker, like theology, like you talked yes. about, like, look at the nations, watch and be amazed, I'm going to do something you wouldn't even believe if you're told. Except the problem is, like, what God's going to do is raise uh-huh. up the Neo-Babylonian, Babylonian. yeah, and yeah. they're going to destroy him. And so, it's a terrible verse. Like, you don't ever want to prophesy that verse over anyone. It's a terrible verse. And then, then the one, in the next chapter too, you know, uh, don't linger, wait for it. Like, okay, I'll, it, you know, it'll come. Like, mm-hmm. That's actually the day of destruction. <laughs> comes. So yeah. I'm waiting on that. No, don't want yeah. that one. And so, no. I, I've heard one comment, uh, one commentary describe how at the end where he, the, the beautiful poem, you know, the feet like deer, you make me go on the heights. And he says, even though the, um, fig tree and the olive fail and the plant or the animals are cut off, that what's being, what's tr- going down is that he's seen the Babylonians kind of, uh, circle around their city and they're cutting them off from their farm. And so no longer can they get the olives or the figs and their animals are dying. And so he's slowly watching his entire city and town being starved to death. But he still says, even though my feet are like the feet of the deer, you let me go in the heights. So there's this, you, you connected to the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if. Uh, most of us are like, I, I'm good if you're going to make some good come out of this. If at the end there's like the sitcom solution, mm-hmm. how do we move past? Like, I need the sitcom solution to being okay, even if everything around me fades away and I don't get what I want. That's a good question. There, you know, because he doesn't. It does never end the way he would want it. No. And uh, I, I don't. I don't think I wrote. It, I'm almost certain I didn't write about it in the book. I'm restudying it to preach now. In the beginning of chapter three, this came to life to me just the early last week. He says in verse one, he, he says something Habakkuk writes to the whatever, and he said, then he says, oh, uh, Shijanoth, which I looked up, what does that mean? It's the plural of Shijan. <laughs> that doesn't mean much anyway. But Shijan is used, I think, in Psalm 37, and this one's used in Habakkuk 3, the only place in Scripture. And we don't know a lot about the word, but what we do know is it was an instruction on how to worship, how to sing. Mm-hmm. And the instruction basically means like raw exuberance, um, passionate uh, it changes of rhythm is kind of like almost like violently exuberant passionate worship and so when we're going into chapter three that's what's it, it changed to me the way I read it that's how he's going before God he's saying like you quoted though my people are going to starve <laughs> though they're you know mm-hmm. there's they're the we're not going to see the fruit um, yet will I from the depths of his soul I will praise God Oh my gosh, that is where I want to live. 
Mm-hmm. And that's that's where my daughter is now. That's where a 22-year-old mm-hmm. little girl is and just told me the other day, I believe he's going to heal me. I believe I'm going to be able to work again. I believe I'm going to have babies. Mm-hmm. And she said, and if he doesn't, I will worship him all the same. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's real faith. I, I, I think to answer your question, I don't think you get there through the good times. Yeah. Uh, I haven't grown. I haven't grown a lot stronger when the grapes are on the vine. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's uh, it, that doesn't test my faith. That doesn't strengthen it. And so, the very things that I want to avoid are sometimes the things that will do the most in me spiritually. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of what we're seeing right now. Yeah, like you talk about in the book, most of us want to rush through the valley. We just want the mountaintop. Yes. That's not how it works. So, I, I, yeah. I think the guy was like a counselor or something, a friend of yours uh, who deals with immense loss and uh, his response is, you know, there's there's no good answers. Uh, I tell people that God grieves with them and that uh, this will be used as a catalyst for greater good. Mm-hmm. When you think of some of the people who've gone through things where their kids don't get better, um, mm-hmm. you know, the 21-year-old who doesn't ever leave the hospital, uh, the 46-year-old mm-hmm. tragically passes away, and you think of greater good, mm-hmm. how do you, like, balance, obviously that's scripture, Romans eight twenty-eight, but also not wanting to give, like, this sitcom solution of, hey, don't worry, something good's going to come out of this. Yeah, so uh, here's the thing. I, what I would do is I wouldn't ascribe good to your situation. So let's say something did happen to your daughter. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't try to point out good that came from it because mm-hmm. that's yours to do, not mine. Um, my my wife's brother, uh, David, died at the age of 34 in something that, that should have been preventable. And uh, so, it, tra- tragic death. Yeah. And um, our family, I think, has the authority and the permission to talk about so many amazing good things that came out of it. Mm. it um, if someone else tried to do it six weeks after he died... I think we would have been devastated. Yeah. Uh, so here's what's crazy. I asked Amy years after the event, probably 10 years after the event, that her brother died. said, you know, with all these good things that came out of it, if you could, if you lost all the good things, but you could have them back, um, would you take them back? And without hesitation, she said, no, I wouldn't. She said, we'll be together in eternity. So I've got that, but I wouldn't change it from all the good. And that's, you know, that's kind of, uh, that's special. Yeah. So again, I wouldn't try to, I think it's a little bit dangerous to put that on someone else to say, Hey, you know, you lost a child. So here's the good that came out of it. Um, but if they, over time, if they see the faithfulness of God, I think that's a real healing thing to do is to look and see how did, how did Romans eight twenty eight how did God work in this, um, to bring about something special and something etern- eternally valuable. Yeah, I think that's a great insight. Don't be Job's friends and try to explain things away. Don't give them. Yeah. Don't don't do that. But I, I think you're right. Like s- s- the people have authority to to describe what good has come out of it. Let them do it. Most of us just and then and celebrate celebrate it with them when they do it. But let them, let them be the one to do it. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good call. Uh, so you have a friend who. Um, uh, his name's John, who has tinnitus. I don't know how to say Yeah, it's, it's t- tinnitus. tinnitus. I didn't know anything, anything about it until he got it. Now I know t- more than I want to know I th- about I it. I think the only thing I heard about it is that the guy who runs the UFC, Dana White, had it. And I think that's the only thing I've ever heard of that. So There's a lot of people listening to us right now that have it. It's way more common than I realized. Really? Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, it's way more common. And it's, uh, it starts out of nowhere. 
uh, I'm not an expert, obviously, so forgive me if I do those who know more, but um, it'll just start and there'll be a ringing in your ear. Mm-hmm. And um, in severe cases, which my friend John has a very severe case, it sounds like a um, like a freight train is just going through your head nonstop. Uh, people, a lot of people are suicidal on it. People, you know, you can't sleep. It's it, there's varying degrees of it, but um, it's just it's just absolutely horrible. And so John's my workout partner. We've worked out together for over two decades. Uh, man's man, just you know, he's, yeah. he would never do it, but he could beat up three guys together if he needed to. And um, this thing took him to his knees. Mm-hmm. You know, it just and he literally very close to God, great marriage, great guy. He's like, I don't know if I can live. Mm-hmm. Life's over. And um, he starts breaking down. So he, we, you know, we researched, sent him to the best doctors in the nation, got the devices. Still didn't help. And one guy, there's a doctor that's kind of an expert on it. He said, the best thing I can tell you to do is just go start helping people. Yeah. Get out of yourself. And um, that's what he did. He's he literally, he's adopted a couple of girls from Honduras. He adopted a single mom, kind of like they're caring for a family. Started a small group, serves all weekend long. And he's, you know, he'll be the first to tell you. So that's the, the pain is no different, but his perspective is different. Yeah. And and he's found joy in in doing things for others for the glory of God, and that's kind of to stretch it. That's kind of Habakkuk's deal. The circumstances aren't different, and yet he's going to praise God like crazy. Um, that's kind of where my family's getting. The circumstances aren't different, but we're going to lift up our hands and we're going to praise Him no matter what. Yeah. Uh, the prescription from a doctor to say just go help someone. Um, yeah. It, Seems a little bit peculiar, but I think it makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, there's the whole better to give than to yeah. receive that Jesus says. So let's trust that one too. It's interesting, yeah. As a doctor that has tinnitus and um, will treat it with everything else, but the best prescription in that case in his mind is get out of your own pain and get into helping somebody else. Yeah, don't miss that detail. The doctor himself actually has the disease that he's treating. The doctor has the disease. Yes. Yeah, that, yep. that's that's fascinating. Um, Okay, a lot of good stuff in the book. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to see as a pastor is you were talking to a grieving family, and they said uh, for you to pray, and you said, "How would you like me to pray?" That's a like a pastoral Jedi move. Never thought to do that. So thank you for that. I'm going to rip that off. Um, so I appreciate that. That's just my little thank you. Yeah, I'm glad that helped. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the book "Hope in the Dark" uh, very accessible. Um, obviously you're a pastor, you're not an academic who's writing for academics. This is very accessible for all people. You're it's obviously the, the hope of the book was not the impetus for the book was writing for a friend of yours who's going through this. And it comes across that way that this is accessible for all people. And, um, good work. Well done, Craig. Good. Thank you. Hey, I'm looking forward to your book, God over good. You're coming out September the... October 2nd, close enough. October the 2nd, I, October the 2nd. Craig, I think you're my favorite uh, guest ever because uh, you've plugged my book more than anyone else. And have, have you, have you, is this your first or have you done it? It's my first one. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll send you a copy. I'll get you one. I'd, I'd love you. I'll autograph it. <laughs> Deal, we'll make it work. All right, man. Good okay, job. Thank you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.